0: Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lance, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people and how to apply that truth to today's issues, trends, and culture. Learn more about the program and our church when you visit walkintruth.com or download our free Living Truth app. Now here's Pastor Michael's final teaching in Isaiah called New Heavens and New Earth, Part 2. All right, well, it's always a neat uh,
1: time when you get to the end of a book, especially a book that has 66 chapters in it. It's kind of a combination of uh, relief and uh, sadness, I think, simultaneously, because the book of Isaiah is so rich, and a lot of you have been with us the whole time, and you've worked through an entire book of the Bible, and it's not the book of Jude with one chapter. You actually have gone all the way through a major prophet in the Old Testament. And there's so much, so much richness when you go through a book of the Bible. And just a reminder that, you know, Isaiah does have 66 books. And in many ways, Isaiah matches the entire Bible. The Bible has 66 books, 39 in the Old, 27 in the New, the way that the book of Isaiah is divided is really that the first 39 chapters address certain themes, and then once you hit chapter 40, it jumps into kind of a different section. But, but the whole while, I think as you study the book of Isaiah, you see this combination of the coming glory of God, so many predictions about the coming Messiah, the servant of the Lord, the one who would die for our sins. You know, we spent uh, some time in Isaiah 53 and saw that majestic prophecy of the suffering servant. We've seen the gift of salvation. We've seen uh, so many different things. But we've also seen the ugliness of self-salvation, false worship, idolatry. You know, if you wanted to call out one sin for uh, what we might call apostate Israel in the book of Isaiah, it was definitely idolatry. And yet it was also mixed with them trying, they were attempting to worship God, but almost in a mechanical way heartless way. Their hearts weren't in it. They were they're worshiping the pagan gods and then trying to mix in the worship of Yahweh and God just wouldn't have it. And and tonight we're gonna look at a chapter that uh, finalizes the book. It's Isaiah 66, so go ahead and turn there if you would with me tonight. And in Isaiah 65, the promise, you know, when you look at our world and, and we sing these wonderful songs about Christmas One of the beauties of the simplicity of Christmas is just to realize that God entered a world of darkness. Uh, Darkness was over the land, and the people saw a great light, and we saw that prophecy in the book of Isaiah as well. And when Jesus came, he came to a dark world, and he is the light of the world. And so whenever we reflect on Christmas and we sing of holy night, and we sing of the hope of the Savior, that's what we're saying, that God's answer to all that ails us is Jesus. He is God's answer. He is, Hebrews 1, 1 and 2 says that Jesus is God's final word to mankind. And if you look at Jesus Christ, he embodies uh, what, what we need to know about God. God is extremely holy and yet incredibly loving. And he came to rescue us. And he's coming again. And his final solution, if we could put it that way, uh, if you wonder what he's going to do to deal with our world that can so disappoint us and trouble us, is he's going to make it over again. That's his answer. And Isaiah 65 and 66 is really what that's about. God is going to make new heavens and a new earth, we touched on that in Isaiah 65:17 when God says behold or look Isaiah 65:17 I create new heavens and a new earth and the former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. This is God's solution. He's going to make everything new again, including you. <laughs> See, what's connected to the new heavens and the new earth is a new body. And that's really good news too. And this is the promise that we highlighted in 2 Peter 3.13. This is the promise God has made, and it's a big promise. Here's what it says. But according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Let's pray one more time. Father, thank you for such a majestic promise as that. According to your promise, you have made a promise and we can take it to the bank, and we're told to look for the new heavens and the new earth because that is the time and the place where all that ails us and troubles us will be settled. Right now we have the down payment. The Holy Spirit, your Holy Spirit, lives in us. Uh, He has sealed us for the day of redemption, the day of Christ. We have the engagement ring. We're waiting for the wedding. That's one way to put it. And when the wedding occurs, when the marriage supper of the Lamb happens, when we have that banquet depicted in Isaiah 25 and 26, we're we we're going to celebrate what you have made. We're apparently gonna, going to get to experience a first-hand, uh, uh, front-row seat of this new creation. We're going to apparently be able to watch you as you make everything new. And then we're going to get to enjoy it. And so we're just so grateful tonight. We just ask that you'd bless our time, teach us, encourage your saints tonight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So you might be asking, okay, uh, this might be not a question that you'd ask out loud as a Christian, but I suppose it might float through your mind. Can God really do that? Can he really make new heavens and a new earth? I mean, that that sounds so fantastic, I mean, is that just the, like the stuff of movies? Is that really going to happen? And I think God addresses that question in verse one of Isaiah 66. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where then is a house you could build for me? Where is a place that I may rest? For my hand, 66 six two made all these things. Thus, all these things came into being, declares the Lord. But to this one I will look, to him who is humble and contrite of spirit and who trembles at my word. Now, I think God is answering a question that he anticipates that may be floating maybe to all readers of the book of Isaiah, but maybe especially to the audience of that day. Remember when the book of Isaiah was written? Um, It was forecasting Babylonian captivity. There were a lot of dark times for Israel. Uh, they, They had a group of people in captivity for a period of 70 years. That's a long time. And so the book is filled with hope addressed to people who appear to be in hopeless situations. And the ultimate solution, as I mentioned earlier, is that God says he's going to make everything new. He's going to make a place where all that stuff is going to be forgotten. It's going to be a place where Eden is restored. And the question might be be being asked, does God have the power? Will he do it? And God says, of course, uh, heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. Now, y'all enjoy a footstool, you know, you enjoy a place to put your feet, right? Well, that's how the Bible, that's how God depicts what the earth is to him. It's just a place to kind of rest his feet. Now, there's other places. We studied Psalm 110 uh, recently, and in Psalm 110, it says, until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. This is a rare place where the Bible tells us that the earth, the actual earth is the footstool of God. And so a good way to think of it is heaven is his throne, the earth is his footstool, and the cosmos are his sanctuary. And Solomon asked the question, could I build a house that would contain such a God as you? And the answer to the question is no. There's no temple that can hold God. There's no physical building that consumes God. If they would just build this for me. You know, when David had in his heart to build something for God, God says, tell David I'll build a house for him. See, God is not really concerned about buildings. We get concerned about buildings, and uh, I suppose it's a legitimate thing to want to have the right facilities, but you know what God is most concerned about? People. And what he says in verse two is, he says, my hand made all these things, thus all these things came into being. I made everything that you see, including you, declares the Lord, but to this one I will look to him who is humble and contrite of heart or of spirit and who trembles at my word. One writer said one object in creation amid the suns and stars secures the gaze of our great creator and it is a person who is humble and contrite and who trembles at his word. That's the that's the one that gets his attention in the universe. When Jesus was interacting with the woman at the well, you know, she was discovering kind of as the conversation went on that Jesus was much more than a man, and she said, you know, our our uh, our fathers say we should worship on this mountain, you Jews say it's in Jerusalem. Where should we worship? What's the proper place of worship? And Jesus said, "Woman, there's a time coming when you will neither worship God on this mountain or in this place, here's the exact quote. He says, you worship which, what, that which you do not know. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews and hour is coming and now is. When the true worshiper shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. If you want to know what captures God's gaze, the Bible tells us clearly that the eyes of the Lord go to and fro upon the earth, that he, he is looking to make himself strong through an individual. That's basically what the Bible says. He looks to people who look to him. And the beauty of the story of our God is is all you have to do is pick up the phone. (laughs) And he's there. And he wants to spend time with you. The one who made everything, everything, says just come into the Holy of Holies. Come boldly by the blood of Jesus, by that new and living way. Isaiah 57, 15, look with me for a moment. I'll remind you of a verse we studied earlier. Thus says the high and exalted one who lives forever, the eternal God, Isaiah 57, 15, whose name is holy, I dwell on a high and holy place. Now think of God saying that heaven is his throne, 57, 15. And also, who does God spend time with or dwell with? The contrite and lowly of spirit. And here's his goal when he does this in order to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart
0: of the contrite. You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. Thanks for tuning in to Walk in Truth today. Did you know there's more where that came from? Download the Living Truth app to listen to more of Pastor Michael's teachings whenever you want. You can even watch videos. And if you're local to Southern California... You can get updates on church events, new studies, and more. Download the free Living Truth app today.
1: Walk in Truth has more content for you to listen to with our mini-sodes A Step Closer, where Pastor Michael Lance and others on the Walk in Truth team discuss topics and questions about life from a Christian perspective. You'll also get a chance to get to know the team. The next topic to dive into is the potential overturning of Roe v. Wade.
0: Even if we threw out having to land on when does life begin, when a majority of those abortions happen, right, is in between, generally, 6 to 12 weeks, and you know what I mean, there's a heartbeat, There's everything's pretty much intact, the only thing that child or that baby needs is time and nutrition. It's fully formed.
1: To listen to the Walk in Truth sodes a step closer, follow Walk in Truth on your favorite podcast app like Spotify, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcast, and more. Again, follow Walk in Truth on your favorite podcast app.
0: We'd love to see who's listening, so please connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Just do a search for Walk in Truth Show. Now, back to Pastor Michael Lance right here on Walk in Truth. And also, who does God
1: spend time with or dwell with? The contrite and lowly of spirit. And here's his goal when he does this. In order to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. If you ever ask questions about revival in the sense of personal revival, oh Lord, I feel dry. Oh, Lord, I'd like to have more passion or fire or zeal. God says, if you want that, you come to me in contrition and humility. And guess what I'll do? I'll revive you. Do you know that when you come to worship services, Bible studies, spend time in prayer, that's precisely what God does for you? He revives you. He refreshes you. And, and usually, hopefully, you go out of church and you say, man, yeah, we gotta, whoa, did you hear that truth? Yeah, I'm gonna witness, it. I'm gonna witness more, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do that, right? And of course, we all joke about it, but it's true. But then we leak, <laughs> you know, we're leaky. It's just, it's the way it is. And we gotta come back to the pump and get filled up. See, that's the purpose of what we do here. We come and we get before the Lord, we tremble at his word, and he touches us. But God has a strong rebuke for people who don't get it. This is verse three of Isaiah 66. God says, but, this is a contrasting thought, but he who kills an ox is like one who slays a man. Now, slaying of men in this context, has to do with the killing of probably of babies in pagan worship. He who sacrifices a lamb. Now, killing an ox is obviously lawful in the Bible. It's something that the Bible does teach. He who sacrifices a lamb, that's obviously something that God called them to do, is like the one who breaks a dog's neck. A dog was an unclean animal, but many scholars believe that the breaking of a dog's neck was also a pagan form of worship the killing of babies, the breaking of a dog's neck as some sort of weird offering to a god. He who offers a grain offering, that's also biblical, is like one who offers pig's blood or swine's blood. He who burns incense, that's also biblical, is like the one who blesses an idol. Notice the contrast. God is saying, even though you do things that are right and true and lawful, the way you do them is like a pagan doing the worst form of their worship. And you might say, "Well, how so? How would how would it be that someone would sacrifice a lamb and God would see that as the breaking of a dog's neck or the the killing of a of a baby?" Because God is basically saying, and he's been saying this throughout Isaiah that when you do what's right, you don't do it with your heart. You don't tremble at at my word, you're not contrite. All you're doing is going through the motions. So you may as well be doing a pagan religious thing at this moment. Because what you're doing, even though it looks right, is meaningless. And the whole book of Isaiah started off that way. Chapter one, you can go back and look at it later. That's what God was saying. He was saying, look, even though it looks right, these people draw near, near to me with their lips, but their hearts, they're far from me. And God says, verse four, so... I will choose their punishments and I will bring on them what they dread because I called and remember we got that image uh, in earlier chapters that God all day long he has stretched out his hand to a stiff necked and disobedient people. There's the problem that they're hard hearted. I called but no one answered middle of four. I spoke but they did not listen and here's the what they did instead. They did evil in my sight and chose and they chose it, important, that in which I did not delight. And what will come upon them is what they dreaded. And often what would happen, people who got involved in pagan practices, they would do these pagan things in order to somehow preserve themselves. So for example, you might make an offering to a god that was supposed to be a god or goddess of fertility, so that your crops would come in that year. So that rain would come. So you would do something to appease that God. And, and so you might do something that God says is detestable, but you're thinking to yourself, but if I do this, people say, if I do this, then the rain will come and God, this God, this false God, small g, will bless my crop. So I'm gonna do it. Even though it's against my principles, it seems right. Have you heard this before? It seems right. It seems pragmatic. It seems like it will work. I know, I know, the, I know what the Bible says about it, but you know what? It seems to be working for all these people. And here's what gives this illumination. Go back to 6511. Here you get some detail, sixty-five eleven. God says, "But you who forsake the Lord, who forget my holy mountain, who set a table for fortune—that was an ancient god, the god of luck—and who fill cups with mixed wine for destiny, another ancient god who was supposed to be appeased so your destiny would be okay. Fortune cookie, the god of fortune cookies—and just kidding. But I will destine you for the sword and." All of you shall bow down to the slaughter, because I called, same theme, but you did not answer. I spoke, but you did not hear, and you did evil in my sight, and chose that in which I did not delight. Whenever you see something re-emphasized twice in in back-to-back chapters, do you think God's trying to say something? You chose this, and why did you do it? Because you thought the God of luck would supply your need. So what you dreaded, you thought, okay, I'll compromise in this area because this, this will protect me, and God says the very thing you dreaded comes upon you because you go to the false God. See what he's saying? He's saying basically, you think this is going to be the answer to your problem, and it's going to add a worse problem for you. This is the cycle of mankind, I don't know if the God of the... I don't know about Christianity. You know, I think I need to do this. And so they get involved in in things that today are not necessarily associated with idolatry. And it brings on them, sadly, judgment. Hear the word of the Lord, 66.5. You who tremble at his word your brothers, now we're gonna get two groups of people put before us. One group is those who are the contrite, who tremble at his word, the remnant, if you will. And then there's a group that are brothers and they can't stand the remnant. They hate him. Notice it says in verse five, your brothers who hate you, who exclude you for my namesake because you worship me and you tremble at my word, have said, and they say it in a mocking sense, Let the Lord be glorified that we may may see your joy, but they will be put to shame. Have you ever run into somebody, here's the meaning here, or someone you might say in a good sense, praise the Lord, and they're like, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Go ahead and say it, Holy Joe. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Right? And it's a mocking thing. All right, Holy Joe, get the prayer over with. Let's go. Don't make it too long. And then you let one of your little kids pray, God, (laughs) thank you for the forks and the napkins. And they just go on and on, and you just make them suffer. That's what you should do. That's a word. Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) And they can't get mad at the little kid, or at least they can't say it out loud. God says, you know what? The ones that shame you, they'll be put to shame. A voice of uproar 66, six from the city, a voice from the temple, the voice of the Lord who is rendering recompense to his enemies. It's coming. Some see this as the fall of Jerusalem in AD 70. Others see this as the final day of the Lord. I, you could take it both ways. The Lord's gonna come. The voice will come from the temple of the Lord and he's gonna render recompense. Before she travailed, she brought forth. Before her pain came, She gave birth to a boy. Who has heard such a thing, verse 8? Who has seen such a thing? Can a land be born in one day? Can a nation be brought forth all at once? As soon as Zion travailed, she also brought forth her sons. Shall I bring to the point of, of birth and not give delivery, says the Lord? Or shall I who gives delivery shut the womb, says your God? Now the Bible in Isaiah 66 kind of turns and it gives us this scene of a miraculous birth. And it's pointing to the, I believe, the end of the age when God's gonna do something very supernatural in the nation of Israel, but even among the Gentile nations. And he's going to give birth without necessarily a travail, which is a picture basically of a woman who's going to have a baby, but she doesn't have to go through labor pains. And all the women said, praise the Lord. Amen. Now, was there ever a time prior to drugs <laughs> when a woman had to give birth to a child and hadn't, wouldn't have to go through labor? Well, the only time that I could think of would be in the Garden of Eden. Because wasn't the result of the curse that a woman's pain would be multiplied in childbirth? Now the question could be asked, and I asked it as I was studying this, was there a little bit of pain? Uh, had Eve brought forth a child in the, in the time when there was no curse, would she have had a birth without any pain? I think it's a question you might want to ask when you get there. Because <laughs> I don't know. But I do know this, as a result of the curse, what would happen? pain in childbirth would be multiplied. And God's saying, we're, we're kind of looking back to a, a time now, but really looking forward to a time when we're gonna come back to Eden-type conditions. That's what's being pointed to. And God is saying, I am going to finish, verse nine, what I started. He who began a good work in you will complete it till When? till the day of Jesus Christ, Philippians one six, And we got people running around today. I don't know, am I saved? Am I? You know what? God, if he gave birth to you, you're born again in the Holy Spirit, he will complete what he started. Now some commentators say, that's written to the church at Philippi. And the church is made up of what? People. He who began a good work in you, will complete it. In you, he will complete it. And there's other verses that tell us that very thing. God will never leave us, nor will he ever forsake us. We're his children. And God says, am I gonna bring somebody to the point of of birth and then not deliver? Of course not. God will deliver. Be joyful with Jerusalem, rejoice for her. Notice the focus is on Jerusalem. Jerusalem. All you who love her, be exceedingly glad with her. All you who mourn over her, those who have been looking and mourning over the condition of Jerusalem, that you may nurse and be satisfied. Here are images of back to the supernatural birth, but now the comfort that follows the delivery. That you may nurse and be satisfied with her comforting breasts, the picture of a baby um, nursing. That you may suck and be delighted with her bountiful bosom. For thus says the Lord, behold, I extend peace to her like a river. Verse 12 was the image, verse uh, verse 11 was the image, verse 12 will give us the reality. Uh, Behold, I extend peace to her like a river, and the glory of the nations like an overflowing stream, and you shall be nursed, you shall be carried on the hip and fondled or dandled, I'll explain that in a moment, ESV says bounced on the knees. You know, when you're a little kid, and I think dads are famous for this, we like to bounce kids on the knee. It's fun. And mom says, what? you're supposed to be putting that kid to bed. And you're like, oh, they're fine. <laughs> and they're like, what are you thinking? Right? I did this. I confess it. Right? Almost every night. It's five minutes to their bedtime. Right. <laughs> All right, I'm going to wrestle Right? But the picture here is of a, of a baby being nursed at mama's breast, being having fun you know, with a parent, being well taken care of. That's the picture here. That's what the new Jerusalem is going to be like. It's going to be all that we need, peace like a river, torrents of living water flowing. And, and there's an implication here that it's going to be fun. <laughs> As one whom his mother comforts, there's also going to be comfort. Here's what God says. As a mother comforts. Can anybody comfort better than a mother? No. Now, not everybody's had a good experience with a mother, but if you have a mother who cared about you, I grew up with um, a mom who went through multiple divorces, um, not because it was really her fault, but she had a bad picker. You guys know what a bad picker is? I think you get, get the idea. Anyway, but she took care of us, and there was no one who could comfort us like mom. You know, yeah, even when you get older, you know, if you're going through a tough time and you still got a mom that you can look to, you can call her up and, oh, baby, my mother doesn't want me to leave the house ever. You know, she wants me to, she wants a, one of those Pope Mobile bubbles around me. She never wants me to go anywhere, right? So I bought a motorcycle, and you know, my, and at, whenever I bring up the motorcycle, my mom's vein in her neck begins to twitch. talk about it. You don't actually ride the thing, do you? No, I said, I just bought it so people could come over and look at it, right? You, you ride it, and the Italian vein starts going. But now you become a parent, and you kind of understand, <laughs> you know? You want to protect them. Well, God will comfort like a mother. God says, so I will comfort you, and you shall be comforted in Jerusalem. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Revelation 21, three and four says, I heard a loud voice saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is among men. He will dwell among them. They shall be his people. God himself shall be among them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall no longer be any death. There shall no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. And Isaiah 25, 8 says, He will swallow up death for all time and the Lord God will wipe tears away from all faces. And the implication when we taught this earlier was God will do it one by one. Each face he will come up to and wipe your tears away. And he will remove the reproach of his people from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. Verse 14, Isaiah 66. Then you shall see this, and your heart shall be glad, and your bones shall flourish like new grass, and the hand of the Lord shall be made known to his servants, but he shall be indignant toward his enemies. Look at verse 14, um, saints of God, and just, underscore, highlight, put it in your mind, you will see this. You will see this. And your heart will be glad. And your bones, now you might want to write amen right in your margin there, shall flourish like new grass. Now how many of you are going through the snap, crackle, pop in the morning? I didn't think things could crack that way. They're cracking, you know? What's going on with my body? Well, one day, your heart will be glad and your bones will flourish like new grass. I've had problem areas in my lawn. Um, I have bunnies. I think there's about 50 of them that live in this little, we have this little bush. And I'll come, I'll drive home at dusk and there'll be all these bunnies. And then I put seed on the grass and there's all these birds. And I drive home, I feel like to a Disney movie. <laughs> you know, I pull in the parking lot and there's all these animals Eating my grass seed. And I never had success. I put little fences around certain areas. Uh, I was losing to Peter Cottontail. But anyway, my neighbor <laughs> gave me this system mow your lawn real short and seed it with this perennial grass seed. And, and so I, I did it just a couple weeks ago and I put the seed down and it's been raining a lot and my grass is flourishing. It's never looked better. I'm like, oh yeah. And now I've realized something. I need a new mower now because it's growing too fast, you know. But anyway, but you know, new grass is a beautiful picture of life, isn't it? When you see it, like a new, vibrant plant, you go, yeah. Well, the hand of the Lord shall be made known to his servants, and we're going to be new. But he shall be indignant toward his enemies. For behold, 15, the Lord will come, wow, in fire. And his chariots like the whirlwind. Chariots, um, whirlwind here depicts speed and strength and power. And when he comes in this fire and in his chariots and like the whirlwind, he's going to render his anger with fury and his rebuke with flames of fire. Isaiah 29 6 says, From the Lord of hosts you will be punished with thunder and earthquake and loud noise, with whirlwind and tempest and the flame of a consuming fire. Uh, Turn to Jeremiah, the next book to your right, chapter four, Isaiah, Jeremiah. Go to chapter four, look at verse 13. Same language in in Jeremiah, 4.13 says, behold, 4.13, he goes up like clouds and his chariots like the whirlwind. His horses are swifter than eagles. Woe to us, for we are ruined. And many people are going to say that when they see him coming. Wash your what? Heart from evil, O Jerusalem, that you may be saved. How long will your wicked thoughts lodge within you? That's a powerful verse, isn't it? You ever feel like stuff's lodged there? (laughs) You say, Lord, I need an extraction. <laughs> and the Lord says, I will cleanse you. Now, if you go in your New Testament, go to 2 Thessalonians. I want to show you this scene of fire that Paul affirms in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 6. 2 Thessalonians 1, 6. Paul's talking about the judgment of the Lord. First uh, and 2 Thessalonians have a lot to do with the rapture and the day of the Lord. Next to Revelation, it's probably the most in-depth treatment of these subjects. And 2 Thessalonians 1 verse 6 says, For after all, it is only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you. 2 Thessalonians 1 7. And to give relief to you who are afflicted and to us as well, when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in what? In flaming fire. Dealing out retribution, and here's who it's coming to. To those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. And these will pay, the ones that are judged, the penalty of, and this is sad, eternal destruction. Keep that thought in mind. The end of the book of Isaiah will tell us about this. Away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he comes to be glorified in his saints on that day and to be marveled at among all who have believed, for our testimony to you was believed. When Jesus comes back to Isaiah, he's coming in flaming fire with all the angels, and that's a day that you're gonna want to say, I know him. Come, Lord Jesus, come. For the Lord, sixty-six sixteen will execute judgment by fire and by his sword on all flesh and those slain by the Lord, sadly, will be many. You might want to write in your margin Revelation 19.21 as it's depicted there as Jesus comes and destroys. Those who sanctify, 66.17, and purify themselves to go to the gardens, here's more pagan worship, and, and you guys are familiar with the fact that a lot of fertility cults spend their time worshiping in gardens, trees, and all that stuff. They purify themselves, but for what? To go to the gardens? Following one in the center, there's always somebody leading people towards this kind of ridiculous worship. They follow the one in the center. Be careful, there's some people that will lead you astray. They're the one in the center, they're the voice saying, come on, this is the right way. Come over here, Purify yourself. Sanctify yourself. We're going to go to the garden. This is the place that we worship. Be careful. They say, go to the garden. Or they eat swine's flesh. Here's, again, the pig's flesh. Detestable things. Notice, mice. All these people who do these things shall come to an end all together, declares the Lord. Uh, One writer says this section summarizes the abominable practices of the false worshipers. When people reject the word of God, they do not opt for nothing. They get involved with the gardens, the location of the fertility cults, pigs and rats or mice. Can you imagine? Do Do you sometimes wonder how people can get to the point where they're worshiping such ridiculous things? I mean, today it's, you know, the whacked out, environmentalists that if they find a spotted rat somewhere you can't build anything right oh no this is endangered you know are you kidding me because of one rat or mice or whatever yeah here we yeah we're all equal we're all god's creatures here okay for i know their works and their thoughts the time is coming to gather all nations and tongues And they shall come and see my glory. If you have an NIV, I think the NIV is probably wrong here. It says, and I, because of their actions and their imaginations, am about to come and gather all nations and tongues. But it says they will come and see my glory. So I don't think the flow of the context means a negative thing. I think it's swinging back to the positive here. Um, The ones that are the remnant, who are contrite, they're going to come, they're going to see the glory of God and I will set a sign, the, the Hebrew word in verse 19 is um, translated O-W-T-H, oath is how we would say it. I will set a sign among them, those who are gonna to come to see the glory, and will send survivors, I believe, maybe the 144,000 that make it through the day of the Lord because they're sealed and protected by God, Revelation 7. I will send survivors from, the, uh, from them to the nations, Tarshish, many believe Spain, Put, Lud Meshach, Rosh, Tubal, up in the north, Havan, many believe Greece, to the distant coastlands, or you could say to the ends of the earth, that have neither heard my fame nor seen my glory. This is, I guess you could call this an Old Testament missionary uh, endeavor. And they will declare my glory among the nations and I will set a sign O W T H transliterated, O T. In the Hebrew, let me read some notes to you. The strong established sign, or the beginning and the end, or the leader first nailed to the cross in the ancient picture language. It's the word sign, the olive, or the ox, the strong leader, the first letter, letter, and the vav, the last, the nail. This letter is used. Uh, and for and and the Tav sign, the last letter, not the Vav, but the Tav. It speaks of a sign, proof or miracles. The letter of this word for oath spell out the beginning and the end or the alaf Tav or the Alpha and the Omega. So what will the sign be to the nations, kind of like a banner calling the nations to come and see God's glory? The closest that we could get to it is probably the Aleph Tav, the beginning and the end. But some think it could be the sign of the cross. I think it could be the sign of God's glory beckoning the people to come. But this word for sign is actually connected to the seal put on the foreheads of those uh, protected by God in Jerusalem in Ezekiel chapter 9. And they're sealed and the destroyers don't destroy them, the angels don't destroy them. And the same idea is for the 144,000 in Revelation 7. And so it may be that the sign is the Jews themselves that have survived and are, and are calling people to come and see the glory of God. I don't know how this is all gonna work out. But God's gonna put some sort of sign and it may be his radiating glory. It may be the glory on the, uh, on the Jews themselves that have been redeemed by God. But whatever the case is, he will beckon the nations. And then they, 20, the Gentile nations in verse 19, I think is the context, shall bring all your brethren from all the nations as a grain offering to the Lord. This could be that Gentiles are bringing Jews back or some believe it could even be vice versa on horses and chariots and litters, on mules, all forms of uh, animal um, transportation here, on camels to my holy mountain Jerusalem, says the Lord, just as the sons of Israel bring their grain offering in a clean vessel to the house of the Lord. I will also take some of them who come for priests and Levites, says the Lord. Why would there be a need for priests and Levites in the millennial reign of Jesus Christ? Study Ezekiel chapters 40 through 48 and you'll see there's a millennial temple in the book of Ezekiel throughout the millennium. Why is it there? Why are sacrifices talked about in the millennium? It's debated. Some think they're for memorial purposes. They're not for redemption per se, but they're for remembrance. It's a debate. But there's a millennial temple, and I guess with a temple comes the need for priests and Levites. For just as the new heavens and the new earth, which I make, will endure before me, they will last, declares the Lord, so your offspring and your name will endure. Will, will this last forever? The answer is yes. And it shall come, it shall be from new moon to new moon, 23, and from Sabbath to Sabbath, all mankind will come down, will come to bow down before me, says the Lord. Right in your margin there, Zechariah fourteen fourteen. It will come about that any who are left of all the nations that went against Jerusalem will go up from year to year to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, and to celebrate the feast of booze. And then they shall go forth. Here's a, The final verse of Isaiah, the book of Isaiah. Then they shall go forth, those who are coming to worship is the idea, and look on the corpses of the men who have transgressed against me. See if this sounds familiar to you. For their worms shall not die, and their fire shall not be quenched, and they shall be in an abhorrence to all mankind. Isn't it stunning the last verse of the book of Isaiah talks about a graveyard near the area of worship. And it seems to paint this picture that as people are coming up to honor the Lord and see his glory and his fame and to, and to come and worship him, they'll stop at this other site and get the idea it's outside uh, the walls and they'll take a look. And you know what they'll look at? a bunch of dead bodies. They will look at something that Jesus painted a picture of and when Jesus painted the picture, he used the Valley of Hinnom uh, imagery or the garbage dump just outside of Jerusalem and you remember, if, if if you've studied this at all, you know that the garbage dump was a perpetual fire and sometimes there were corpses in there that were decomposing and sometimes being burned up. And it appears that in the millennium, and you can take this as literal as you want to, but I'm going to take it for what it says, that as people are going up into the holy city and they're going to worship God and see God's glory, they're going to get a little peek at a bunch of people that it didn't end so good for. And what would the purpose of that be? Maybe to remind us what we were saved from? It was, I think it was the founder of the Salvation Army said that if any person wanted to really get passionate about ministry, you should just hang them over the open fires of hell for about a minute, and then they'd be really passionate about ministry. <laughs> See, we we don't want to overdo it, right? We we don't like being categorized as hellfire and brimstone, but you know the truth is that Jesus talked more about hell than he did about heaven. And the book of Isaiah with all its glory about the coming savior and on his shoulders will be the governments of the world and a son will be given to us and the suffering servant and the glory of the the banquet, it ends with, yeah, we're gonna see the glory, but there's people. There's corpses of men who transgressed against me, God says, and the worm shall not die. Their worm shall not die. The fire shall not be quenched and they will be an abhorrence to all mankind remarkably says Alec Moitier there's a cemetery beside the city always as they come to worship the redeemed deliberately makes themselves face they go out and look vividly horribly at the fate from which they have been spared this has been the dual theme of the end of Isaiah both glory and wrath the corpses are the rebels, but they're there. And I suppose that you can't have a story of glory without the flip side that we do know that there's many that are not gonna enter in. And the sad thing is they're gonna be there. But to us, we have a mediator of a new covenant, Jesus. We've been sprinkled with the blood. It speaks better than the blood of Abel. And we have a kingdom that cannot be shaken. It will remain, therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken Hebrews 12:28 let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe. for our God, as third day sang it, is a consuming fire. But the good news is he's good, <laughs> and he's come to save us. Father, we thank you that the book of Isaiah is so majestic in what it teaches us about who you are, Lord, you are holy. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The angel sang in Isaiah 6, the whole earth is full of his glory. You said, I called, I called, and I called some more. And Lord, on a positive note, you called and you were gracious to allow us to answer. And you set our feet upon solid ground. You lifted us out of the miry clay and saved us while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You've saved us, loved us, called us, commissioned us, given us an eternal hope. This is your promise. New heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells. And if there's gonna be righteousness dwelling, then evil must be dealt with, and we realize that. And the good news is, God, that you have saved us and called us and loved us with an everlasting love. And you sent your son, Jesus Christ, and we celebrate his birth this month. But we will also celebrate his death and resurrection come March, April, and then we will once again, turn our hearts toward the coming of our Savior, our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. There's a blessed hope coming. It's the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And until that day comes, Lord, may we, may we look to you. May we know that you will create this new heaven and new earth, and we will be part of it, and you will make us new. And you who began that good work you will complete it. And so we rest in you tonight. We pray for passion, for evangelism, for the mission that you've given to each of us to live out, to serve the body, to honor our king. And I wanna pray just in, in closing for each precious saint that's here tonight, that you might encourage them, strengthen them, use them, assure them of your great love for them and bless them richly, Father pour out your spirit, extend your hand for healing in areas that need healing. I just pray you'd encourage your saints tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand?
0: You've been listening to New Heavens and New Earth Part 2 on Walk in Truth. And that was Pastor Michael's teaching in Isaiah 66 and his final teaching in the book of Isaiah. Remember, if you missed any part of the teachings in the book of Isaiah, you can go back and listen to Walk in Truth on the Living Truth app or on your favorite podcast app. You can also listen to our new mini-sodes called A Step Closer. Now, our Living Truth app is the one with the red logo with the pillars. And with our app, you can learn more about Living Truth Christian Fellowship, the church behind Walk in Truth, where Pastor Michael Lance serves as senior pastor. If you're local to Southern California, the app gives updates and information about upcoming Bible studies, free events and services, both for you and your kids. If you live outside Southern California, you can still benefit from the Living Truth app because you can listen or watch Pastor Michael's previous teachings and you can contact the church if you have any questions or comments. Download the free Living Truth app in your app store. Now, here's Pastor Michael with a final word before we go. Just like the
1: Bible has 66 books... Isaiah has 66 chapters, and we've come to the final chapter. And maybe a way to think about the final chapter of Isaiah is to think about the final chapter of the Bible, Revelation 22. And there, although there is some judgment there, what you're going to find is renewal, a renewal of all things. The Bible ends, Isaiah ends, the Bible ends with renewal. This long-awaited promise, you know, I can't help but think of uh, C.S. Lewis, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and, you know, how it was always winter, never Christmas, because of the curse of the White Witch, and a prophecy had been spoken, and, you know, everyone waited for the curse to be lifted. And finally, the snow began to melt, and Aslan was on the move, and hope began to stir Our world is going to come to that point where God will wrap up this age, but a new age will ensue, a renewal. And descriptions of this renewed uh, place are in Isaiah 65, 66, Isaiah 11, chapter 2, Revelation 21 and 22. A time when the curse will be no more. A time when he will wipe away every tear. A time when death will have died. How we long for that time and how good it is to know that it's coming. The one who promised is faithful. Write these words. They are faithful and they are true. Don't lose your faith, my brother, my sister. Hang on. He is going to make all things new you can take it to the bank. This is Pastor Michael. This is Walk in Truth. And we have just finished the book of Isaiah. Amazingly, 66 chapters. Remember, you can hear the rest of the teaching when you go to your favorite podcast app. Search for Walk in Truth and you can get the rest of the teaching in Isaiah 66. Now, uh, speaking of teaching, we're doing a special 633 event on July 17th. On the Enneagram, you say, what's the Enneagram? Well, it's kind of become popular, a way to diagnose personality by numbers, but it has some interesting dark origins and some questionable uh, conclusions. Is it even scientific? What are its origins? What are its dangers? Why has it been embraced at least by a portion of the church? Uh, what is the value of it? Why do we need more than the scriptures give us, for example. Well, we're going to explore that. We're going to critique the Enneagram, and we're going to do it with Professor Craig Hawkins, who is really an expert on the occult. He's written a book on Wicca and witchcraft, and he's a friend, um, really a mentor for me, and I'm excited to have him teaching at the morning services. We'll be doing this together, 8.30, 10.30 a.m., and then coming back at 6.30 in the evening for our 6.33 event, on the Enneagram, we'll be critiquing it July 17th, morning and evening. You can get information and driving directions when you go to walkintruth.com, click on the church tab. You'll also see a 633 event banner. Walkintruth.com, click on that church tab today. God bless you, and we will talk to you, Lord willing, right here tomorrow.
0: And don't forget, Walk in Truth is a listener-supported ministry. Your financial partnership helps us broadcast on this station provide the podcast for free, and it helps us do our free apologetic events too. Please consider becoming a monthly partner of at least $5 a month. You can donate at walkintruth.com. Be sure to come back tomorrow to hear Pastor Michael and Pastor Shane wrap up the series in the book of Isaiah. I'm Mike Massaro. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth, where it's our goal to equip you to reach out with God's truth to all people.